Welcome to episode 198 of Live Happy Now. This is your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us today. This week, we're cutting the clutter with New York Times bestselling author Gretchen Rubin. For the past decade, Gretchen has been delving into what makes us happy, and spoiler alert, it's not a bunch of stuff. In fact, her new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, Declutter and Organize to Make Room for Happiness, shows us how outer order contributes to our overall well-being. She sat down with me to talk about why organization and happiness go hand in hand and tell us how we can achieve it. Gretchen, I appreciate you getting into our studio today and talking to us about this book because this is such an important topic. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Well, you know, I know that we have a lot of interest in organization now, and that's, you know, something that's kind of caught my attention. We seem to be more fascinated with organization than ever before. Can you tell me why that is? Well, you know, I do think it's something that people are always interested in. I think it's sort of a perennial subject of sort of getting control of our stuff and people recognize that they feel more focused and calmer and it's easier to find your keys. But I do wonder if right now if the world feels like a very noisy, overwhelming place. It seems like there's like so much going on and like so much to deal with. It's very easy to become overwhelmed. And so I wonder if that's making people think, you know what, I can't control the world, but I can control my coat closet. And if I can't, <laughs> bring down the level of noise on the outside, I can at least get everything more orderly within my immediate environment. And that'll help me cultivate that sense of kind of calm that it's going to make me feel better. That makes perfect sense because I've wondered if it's harder to declutter these days. Like it, could be, it just seems like we have more stuff, but maybe it's just the noise from the outside world that makes it feel that way. What, what do you think? Well, I do think it's easier to buy more stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff has become cheaper and cheaper over time. And so it's easier to kind of reach out and buy it. I think for some people, things like online shopping have made it a lot easier in a way that maybe isn't good. So I think one of the things to do, and I certainly suggest this in the book, is kind of understand where you might be uh, tempted. Some people do a lot of online shopping. And so for them, it's like, okay, delete your accounts. So every time you buy online, you have to shop as a guest. That's just a little bit more inconvenient, and it's probably enough that a lot of people won't impulse buy because it's just a little bit of a nuisance. Now, other people, they shop in person, and you might say to that person, okay, well, don't carry cash. Some people do better when they use a credit card because then they have the statement that tells them exactly how they spent their money. A lot of people are just the opposite. Credit card feels like pretend money, but when they <laughs> have cash in their hand, they feel that pain. And so it's like, well, what works for you? And then there's little tricks like don't use a basket or a cart. You know, if you're carrying things in your arms, you're going to be a lot less likely to just, you know, randomly start p picking things up. So I think part of it is just knowing what for you might cause you to buy things that you later regretted or realized that you didn't need. Well, that's, those are great tips. Uh, you know, and the thing that struck me about this book as I was going through it, first of all, it has so many great tips and it is something that everyone can get something out of. And what was it that made you personally interested in taking on this topic and and really giving us a great game plan for getting through all this clutter in our lives? Well, you know, ever since I wrote The Happiness Project 10 years ago, I've noticed in myself and in other people how kind of energized people are around the subject of outer order. You know, like you talk about the resolution to make your bed, which is one of the most common Happiness Project resolutions, and people laugh and talk about it. They want to talk about making their bed. Do they make their bed? I make my bed in a hotel room on the day I check out. I'm that Do you really? <laughs> I do. And so it's like people love to talk about it. And I noticed, and then I wrote a book about habits called Better Than Before, and what I noticed is like people are 
not that energized about talking about exercise, which is a habit that is very, very important. But people don't, it's not like there's not this kind of sense of buzz around it. And I got, I just became more and more interested. Like, why is that? And I realized it's because outer order contributes to inner calm for most people. And most of us are very aware of that. We know, oh my gosh, if I, cleaning out this coat closet is going to make me feel amazing. You know, like getting control of my kitchen cabinets is like going to give me such a surge of energy and cheer. Like I can't wait for it. There's just this connection. And so it just, over time, I became more and more intrigued by it. And I really wanted to focus on it. It had always been part of the discussion of happiness and good habits and human nature that I was doing. But I thought, you know, I really want to shine a spotlight on this very specific area. It's, you know, it's a small area, but it's actually quite significant in our lives. And I think it's interesting because in the research, there's not that much attention paid to it. And and what research is done, I think, is not very helpful. But in popular culture, of course, it's wildly popular mm-hmm. and people love to talk about it. And there's articles and TV shows and books and, you know, there's a lot of conversation around it because I think people really are interested in it. And And the thing is, it is a challenge in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of different challenges. Different people face different challenges. So you have to think about that. And then once you create it, of course, then you have to maintain it. And that's a whole separate challenge. Oh, my. There's a a lot going on when it comes to outer order. Well, how did you go about compiling all the information? What was the the collection and, and writing process like for you? Well, it was so fun. This was such a fun, playful book to write. So I was very inspired in the structure of it from a little book called Food Rules by Michael Pollan. That's the mm-hmm. book where he, he has his famous statement, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. And anyway, it's just a way he talks about food and eating in just these like quick snippets. And I love the way you could like tear through the book, get a ton of information in this very kind of streamlined way. And I admired that book. And I realized that as I was thinking about clutter and order is I was kind of thinking about what well, you could do this and you could do that and you could do this other thing. And it sort of fit into that kind of structure. So I started keeping track of all the ideas that I heard from other people or that I came up with myself or that we talked about on the Happier podcast, the podcast I have with my sister, Elizabeth Craft, like things that were resonating with people. And it just sort of started to take its form. And, you know, the thing that I realize or the thing I believe is that there's no one right way. There's no magic one size fits all solution to tackling a challenge, like whether it's clearing clutter or eating right or getting more sleep or reading more or whatever it is. You kind of have to do it in the way that's right for you. So what I wanted to do with this book was to have tons and tons and tons of possibilities so that each person could pick, go through and and that everybody would hit some things when they're like, oh my gosh, I could totally do this. Or, oh yeah, <laughs> this is what I want to do. This would work for me. I could, I could do this. I could imagine myself doing this. To the point where they're like halfway through and they just leap from their seat and go running to the medicine cabinet to start clearing clutter. That was the kind of book that I wanted to write. So it's not about like, here's the program, you know, my way is the right way and you've got to do it this way. It's kind of like pick and choose what works for you. And I think that's one thing that is so appealing about it because it is light and playful in its tone. And it just it feels like such a cleansing kind of read because they are bite sites. As you noted, then we can it's like a buffet. You can just go and pick the things that you want out of there and have those and not worry about the things that aren't relevant to you. Right. Well, it's funny that you said that because I did think like, well, kind of a challenge of a book like this is that it better be pretty streamlined and pretty like every single thing should be useful uh, and there for a reason because the whole point of the book is like, let's get rid of the things that we don't need. So I, I wanted to write a book that felt light. 
<laughs> well, it works very well. And it's so funny because one of my friends, I was telling her about this book. I was reading this book and she's like, well, can I borrow it when you're done? And I'm like, well, I don't know when I'll be done. And she said, isn't it wrong for you to hoard a book about getting rid oh, of right. clutter? I was like, yeah. oh, she got me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. That's funny. But touched on this earlier and you mentioned that there's a, a great relationship between Outer order and inner calm, as your book title says. And we know that's true, but what exactly is that? You know, we hear that relationship and that correlation a lot, but how can you explain to us how that works? You know, I think it's true on many levels. So, in, in the simplest, kind of most concrete level, life is easier when you get rid of things you don't need, don't use, don't love. I mean, you can find your keys more easily. You can clean and dust and vacuum more easily. You can put things away more easily. L life is just easier. You know, it's easier to make a decision about like, what am I going to wear to work tomorrow? Because everything fits you, everything you like, you're not fighting your way through a bunch of stuff where you're having to be like, well, but this one has a stain. So I have to wear a sweater and this one doesn't really fit. And this, you know, it's just life is easier. And then I think, you know, part of what's going on with our possessions is they do allow us to project our identity into our environment. And they do remind us of the people and places and activities that we love. And that's a very positive aspect of possessions. But possessions can also embody our fantasy self, things that we wish were true that aren't true. Sometimes when we look at possessions, we're full of guilt and regret and remorse because maybe I feel bad when I look at that pair of shoes because I think, wow, I paid a lot of money for those shoes and I've never really worn them. That was a mistake. Or I think, oh, I got that yoga mat because I was planning to do so much yoga, but I haven't really been doing any yoga. And so, and or like, oh, I have these clothes and I used to fit into them. And one day I want to fit into them again. So, if I get rid of them, even though I haven't worn them in five years, does that mean that I'm admitting to myself that my body is not going to change? And that's a, that for some people is a very painful prospect. So these possessions are not just possessions. They serve as kind of embodiments of certain kinds of ideas and emotions that we have that can be painful. And then, of course, for many people, there is this powerful emotional aspect to possessions. And so things are dear to us far beyond what we can manage. You know, if every toy that my daughter ever loved is important to me, it's like, I'm going to be drowning, you know, in plastic <laughs> for the rest of my life. If every outfit, you know, if every t-shirt my husband has ever worn is precious, then we got no room for any new t-shirts. And so part of it is understanding, like, these things do have emotional value. They do represent people that I love. Yes, this person has died and this, this set of China was important, I'm not using it. So how do I think about that in a way that lets me let go of it? And so this, this takes some work. And that's why for many people, clearing clutter can be very emotional and difficult because it's not just a matter of deciding, hey, I have, this is what I recently happened to me. I was going through my kitchen and it was like, hey, we have two garlic presses. Why do we have two? Let's get rid of one. And then it's like, wait a minute, we never use a garlic press at all. Why do we have any garlic presses? Let's <laughs> give away both. That was sort of like, uh, I don't know how that happened, but it wasn't painful. But your mom, you, you know, your grandmother's China, that's like a different kind of calculation. And so yeah. there's a lot going on. And so getting rid of those things, though, then releases this enormous sense of relief. And that's the on the other side where you get the cheer and the energy and the sense of possibility and just the lightness of it. That's the simile people always use as they feel lighter. They really feel like their their very body has been unburdened. Yeah. And getting there, as you noted, is 
is no small task. And I'd like to talk for a second about the that emotional attachment that we have with this stuff. And you mentioned, you know, I've got like my great aunt's cedar chest. I have no use for it. It does not fit in any way with my decor, but she wanted me to have it so bad that I'm like, I, I have to keep this cedar chest in a contemporary living room. <laughs> and, you know, so what is that? What is the process that we, each of us has to go through to detach from stuff, from belongings? Well, part of it is to think like, well, was my great aunt important to me? Was your great aunt important to you? Absolutely. Okay. So she really was important because sometimes people inherit things from people they don't even know. Like they'll get pictures of people (laughs) that they don't even recognize. And I'm like, well, that's like, yes, you have kind of like family connection, but uh, you know, but your great aunt was truly important to you. Do you Mm -hmm. think that you have another possession in your house that reminds you of your great aunt other than the cedar chest? Do you have anything else? Yeah. I have her graduation picture from high school. So, you know, to me, that's the most important thing to me. So maybe you could say to yourself, I have the thing that what's important is the relationship to your great aunt. And that is very, very important and dear to you. But for you, the thing that represents that is this picture. Now, to your great aunt, the cedar chest was more important. The picture maybe was less important. But for you, the actual picture of her and maybe at this time in her life or whatever it meant to you, that's more important. So the cedar chest is kind of incidental because you have the picture. And also the picture, let's just note, This kind of thing is better when it's small in size and easy to store. A cedar chest is one thing. A frame photograph is something very different. So I'm like, the frame photograph makes a much better memento than the cedar chest. And so it was very important to her. And so you've acknowledged that it was important to her. You know it was important to her. But what's important now is your memory of her. And you don't need the cedar chest for that. And also the thing about mementos is the more you have – they become unworkable and then kind of they don't even serve their purpose at all. So this is like if you're like, okay, I'm going to keep every every drawing my child made in kindergarten through third grade. What you're going to end up with is a box full of very similar indistinguishable pictures that you will put in the basement, which will then flood, and then everything will get mildewy and you will throw <laughs> it away, never having opened it. Whereas if you pick the one best one that for whatever reason stands out to you and you get it framed and you hang it on the wall, then you're like, oh my gosh, I remember that. Remember those days of finger paint? Oh my gosh, I remember you in kindergarten. And then you can let go of the other ones. Or if you need to, you can take pictures of them if they're you know, and then you have a picture of them, but you don't actually need the boxes and boxes because the fact is you never go through the boxes and boxes because who's got the time or the energy? Even your child isn't going to want to go through boxes and boxes and boxes. (laughs) They're going to be embarrassed, actually. Well, well, I mean, they just aren't going to care. You know, it's just not the kind of thing. I mean, so if you pick the one few things, like what I have for my daughters is I have a like a bank, a nice banker's box, like a fancy banker's box. There's a file for every year of the school year. And I pick a few things like where you could see their handwriting, especially if they're doing something like an autobiography project or, you know, something like really reveal or like my Saturday. You know, sometimes they have these exercises where it's kind of like a little diary entry or something. And I'll pick a few things and I'll put in things to like the birthday party invitation or family holiday card, you know, something like the, you know, something like their school portrait, put it in there. And then it's like, they have something that's like, oh, these are like highlights from kindergarten. And it's a little manila folder that they can go through. And that's fun. Having three boxes full of stuff. No one's ever going to go through that. It's like, yeah. it's too much. It's like not, it's not been, you're not doing the hard work of, of deciding. You're just saying, I'll keep everything because it's easier to keep everything than to decide. But then it's just like the attic full of everything that you've ever owned. At some point, somebody's got to face that attic. The decision has to be made at some point. 
it's just easier for everyone, for you and for everybody in your life, if you're carefully choosing along the way, because then you end up with things that are actually meaningful and get rid of the things that aren't meaningful. So you have to kind of think like a curator instead yes. of a, a hoarder. Yes. It's easier to just keep everything. I remember when I was growing up, we had this like copper. I don't even know what it was. It was a copper. It was like a giant. It wasn't a pot. I don't know. It was like a, a giant pot, copper container. <laughs> and we just put everything in there, you know, and then what happened to it? I have no idea. I just remember anything, any paper I had, I'd, well, it goes in the container. So I put it in there. And it was like I a time capsule. <laughs> yeah, but it was too big. It was too much. I think they, I think my mom just ended up, would just go through and then throw everything away. Maybe she didn't want to like throw it away in front of us. I don't know. But I do think that when there's a few things, then they kind of become intensely servicing the memory. Whereas if you have many, many things, it just like, they all are just sort of generally evoking that person, but not in a way that's special. And you so, quit seeing it after a while. Well, when you have all this stuff, yeah. don't see it. Absolutely. Yes. If you pick the one iconic thing, usually you pick the best thing or the most interesting thing. And that's nice to have around, but having like a million, what would it be? What are they, you know, Polly Pockets or, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> babies. yeah, I mean, one My Little Pony is a memory. 30 My Little Ponies is like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with all these ponies? And so I think that it is that mementos, they do their work best when they're carefully selected and especially when they're manageable in size. Now, a lot of people can't even imagine that they could get to the point that you're talking about where they can truly declutter. And what's so wonderful about this book is you tell them how to do that. And once they hit that point, you, as you have mentioned, it is really hard to maintain it. Yeah. So what are your tips then for people who have gone through the decluttering and to keep them from stepping back over crossing the Rubicon again and, and yeah. recluttering? There's a lot of little habits that you can follow that make it a lot easier. One is the one minute rule. Anything you can do in less than a minute, do without delay. So if you can hang up your coat, if you can print out a document and put it in the file where it belongs and then throw away, you know, the letter that made you feel like you needed to do it. If you can put the cap on the toothpaste and put the toothpaste back in the medicine cabinet, just go ahead and do it. And so this doesn't take any time or energy out of your day because these are small tasks, but it gets rid of that kind of scum on the surface of life, like all those little tasks that very quickly mount up if you don't, if you're not careful. And then you just feel like, oh my gosh, everything's such a mess. Um, another thing I really like to do is a 10 minute closer. And this is when every time you're getting ready to make a transition, you take 10 minutes to kind of shut down what you're doing in order to move. And this is helpful because, you know, we're really good about giving children transitions. We know that children need transitions. Transitions. But we expect ourselves to kind of rocket from one activity to another. And I think it's actually very helpful to give yourself transitions. So like for me, I were, I have a home office and 10 minutes before I'm ready to end for the day, I will take 10 minutes and I will just sort of like blast off a few emails, throw away any trash. I have this weird thing where I like take out pen after pen after pen from a pen cup. I, I don't just pick up a pen from the desk. I don't know why this is. So I put all the pens back in the pen cup. This is not hard work. You know, it, it's very quick. But it gives me that feeling, okay, everything's getting put away. Everything looks great by the time I'm done. And then when I come in in the morning, it's much more energizing because to, like to fight your way through a bunch of junk and like, here's the scratch paper that I don't need. Wait, what is this? Why is this? I have this empty can of Diet Coke. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's draining. And so in this, you could do the thing at work. You can do it before you go to bed. You can do it before you leave in the morning. That's a really, really helpful habit. So really it's just doing it in bite-sized chunks. Once you've completed your decluttering, that initial yeah, task, then just it's just to, maintaining. 
just to stay on top of areas that tend to get recluttered very fast. And there was one more thing. I know we have to let you go here in a couple minutes, but there was one thing in your book that I really wanted to talk about, and that was your mock move. I thought, I love this idea because yes. we moved about four months ago. And one of the things we love about moving is all the stuff you get to throw away. So can you tell me what a mock move is and why it's so helpful? Well, absolutely. Because as you point out, like one of the most valuable times for clearing clutter is moving. Because when you're faced with, do I really want this? And do I want this to the point where I'm going to pay for a box and a mover to move it and then figure out what to do with it on the other end? Like a lot of things just fail that test. You're like, actually, I don't feel like moving this rice cooker, which I have never <laughs> used. You know, it weighs 50 pounds and, you know, I'll give it away now rather than move it to where I'm going. And people often talk about, oh, they feel so great after a move. And so one of the things to do is because we get so used to our stuff, it's hard to evaluate it. So a mock move is like, it just kind of changes your perspective. And then you really say, okay, well, I have this fax machine from 10 years ago. It still works. Nobody ever sends faxes anymore. But it's <laughs> it's like, what does. is a fax machine? <laughs> yeah, well, it still does work if I figured out how to plug it in. Am I going to get rid of it? No. Why would I get rid of it? It's perfectly good. Would I move it? There's no way I would move it. Why would I move a fax machine? I haven't used a fax machine in 10 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's something about doing a mock move that often helps people see that they don't really value anything, something, because if you wouldn't pay to move it, if you wouldn't pay to buy it and you wouldn't pay to move it, you probably don't use it, need it, or love it. So it's a helpful, it's a helpful question to ask yourself. That's fantastic. Well, Gretchen, you have such great information, Outer Order, Intercom, fantastic book. I'm thinking too, Mother's Day is coming up. There's a lot of people who can give it to their mothers because like you said, someday someone's going to have to deal with that stuff in the attic. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe let mom know in a really nice way that you don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, well, so good to talk to you. Thanks for having right. me on the show. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. That was Gretchen Rubin, author of Outer Order, Inner Calm, Declutter and Organize to Make Room for Happiness. You can find out more about Gretchen's latest book and where to buy it just by visiting us at livehappynow.com. Of course, we already hope you're a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform, then hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for this week, so we'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.